Zachariah. I would ask for a show of hands. You know, it's funny. Steve mentions that. I, just for the record, I, I, I had heard of Zechariah before, before my study on this started. Um, but it's always funny how people have little litmus tests like that. Used to be this guy came to our church in Vail, and, and he would, uh, I'm reminded of Vail for some reason this morning. But, um, and, you know, the cool thing about Vail is when you have a, had a day like today, everybody would come to the early service. What do you suppose that's all about, huh? Anyway, uh, this guy would come, and he would always, he first started coming to church, and he would say, I read through the Bible four times. How many times you read through the Bible? I mean, just like, I read through the Bible four times. How many, how many, it was his litmus test. You know, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Don't know how many times I read through the Bible. Well, I've read through it four times. You read through more than that? It's, it's, it's funny how, and as I got to know him, he needed to read it a few more times, I'll tell you that. But, <laughs> but if you know what I mean. And... Um, um, it's funny how we have little litmus tests like that and we, we come to a, a, a person in the Bible that maybe, maybe you've heard about or, or maybe you think Zechariah, you think, oh, isn't that in the Old Testament? And it is, spelled a little differently, but um, and a, a different person, obviously. Uh, but there are some, there's so much to learn from some of these. Uh, and this really, this really is not an insignificant person. Uh, he's very key, and you're going to see that in just a moment as to the whole Christmas story. And uh, we're going to show you that, and we're going to show you some things as well. Um, actually, we have a, a film clip that I'm going to show you here in just a few minutes that has a lot to do. And just I think it illustrates us perfectly, and the, the arts team came up with the idea. I thought, well, that's perfect, perfect fit. Zechariah was an Old Testament, I'm sorry, a priest, much unlike the Old Testament priest, Obviously, it's in the book of Luke, which is in the New Testament. He was a, Jew, a, a, a Jewish priest. Um, there were about 18,000 of them at that time. And uh, they would have three or four different jobs that would take place in the temple. And they would take turns doing that. And, and, and according to a person's order, so to speak, kind of like the Catholics, you know, they have the Franciscans and the, and the Christian brothers or whatever. They had different orders like that uh, among the Jewish priests. And uh, whenever they're, you know, they would sort of roll the dice or they called it casting lots uh, to see whose turn it would be. And on this particular day of what we're going to be reading, uh, it was Zachariah's, uh, his sort of his ministry team, for lack of a better illustration. Uh, it was their time to, to, to do the uh, serving in the, in the temple. And one of them, you know, the, part of that was to present their sacrifices, sacrifices on behalf of the Jewish people. And in doing so, um, you know, that was kind of a scary thing. Now, you're going to see one person smile in the, in the film clip in just a moment, but there wasn't a lot of smiling going on, and it wasn't a lot of fun stuff going on, and it wasn't, nobody accused them of being a rock and roll church or a rock and roll temple or whatever. Um, nobody accused them of being happy. I mean, it, it was serious stuff because they were talking about the forgiveness of sins, and, and that's pretty serious. Now, we're fortunate because we live on this side of the cross, and we know we have forgiveness. Those of us who've, who've come to Christ and, and ask Him to, to tell, tell Christ that we trust Him, we know we have forgiveness. And I talk about that a lot. Well, they didn't know they were going to be forgiven on each, each day of atonement, so to speak. So this is pretty serious stuff. So when He would go into the temple, there are a lot of people kind of standing around outside, kind of uh, going through some of, the, some of the motions and so forth, and some of the Jewish customs and some of the Hebrew and so forth, because they... they I mean, they, just like us, knew they were very fallen people, but they didn't know for sure uh, if forgiveness would come or when. 
Neither did he. And he's a long-time priest, been at it for a long time. And that's where the story begins. That's where the narrative in the uh, Gospel of Luke begins. It's in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 5. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah. Um, who lived when Herod was the king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also of the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were very old. And keep in mind, at this particular time of history, there's been many times like this in history. Thankfully, we don't live in one like it now. But at this particular time in history, if a woman didn't have children, she was looked down upon. Because that was kind of like one of the main functions of a woman. I'm not saying I believe that. I don't. But, I mean, that's what they believed. Okay? So, I mean, for a woman, it was a great disgrace for her not to have have children. And, um, I mean, let's face it, women weren't treated very well then anyway. But you just got to add on to this and it makes it even worse. So it's kind of a tough deal we got going on here. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in God's presence. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now keep in mind, a sanctuary, you know, this is, one of the, this is a little thing for me. You know, they say, well, where's your sanctuary? And, and all my life as a, as a pastor, I've never liked the word sanctuary because what it, what it, what it, just like right here, what it means is it's where God dwelled. Well, things have changed. Little thing, it's one of my little things, one of my little idiots. Where does God dwell now? Right here in our hearts. Is this a, is this, and one of the nice things about being in an opera house, I haven't had too many people say, well, where's the sanctuary? Every now and then you do. But I mean, you know, it's not, the sanctuary was at this particular time a place. Now it is a place. Now, now that we live in the age of grace, it, it's in our hearts. It's where God dwells. So, you know, you can, now you can go and walk into certain places and you might feel more holy or you might feel more, they might be more conducive to worship or whatever, and that's fine. But, but theologically, that's, that's all I'm talking about. What's important here is we understand where the sanctuary is today. When one comes to God, one comes to Christ, sanctuary is right here. That's why I can worship God wherever I am, wherever I go, whatever's going on. And that's pretty cool. Anyway, that wasn't the case in this situation. So he went to the sanctuary to burn this incense, part of the sacrifices for their sins that they were making. Um, and so forth. Obviously, as a precursor to what Jesus would do on the cross. All right, verse 11. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear. This is not a good thing. You don't want to see any angels of the Lord when you're doing this, okay? <laughs> you don't, because that might mean that you're not worthy. And, and, and some writers, some, some authors of the time say that, that this, a priest literally would go in sometimes with a, with a rope tied around his foot just in case he wasn't holy or, or wasn't, wasn't worthy and he would just, according to that time, just drop dead because he was in the presence of God and they just, you know, kind of pull the body out. Kind of a, I've had people want to put a rope around my ankle. <laughs> to pull me off the stage, but not for the same reason, okay? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this is not a good thing. He's here and he sees this angel. He's like, and, and you're going to see it in just a moment. He's like, oh, crap, or something like that, okay? <laughs> you, you, you follow my drift here, okay? Here we go. 
but, but right away, he says, but the angel, verse 13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to name him John. Kind of gives the story away, but you, you got you you will you will have a great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, tough life, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. I mean, that's that has that's not telling us that that wine or hard liquor is is a sin. What it's telling us is he was going to be taking what they used to call in the Old Testament a Nazarite vow. Nazarite vow was you wouldn't touch wouldn't touch alcohol your lips wouldn't touch alcohol you wouldn't cut your hair and there were a couple of other things he didn't do all of that but he did part of that so some people some scholars say it was a sort of a partial Nazarite vow whatever the case that was for John who's going to be John the Baptist that was for him and 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 him alone even before his birth he says the Holy Spirit is going to be filling him even before his birth 16 he will he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God he will be a man with spirit and the power of Elijah the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival, for Jesus' arrival, in other words. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Now watch this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? You're going to see it in just a second. I'm an old man now, and my wife is also along. He's not really asking. He's sort of commenting. And he started doing it in a kind of a cynical way, I think. And apparently God thought the same thing. Just watch this. This is from the movie The Nativity, which is a very, it made it last year. It's a great movie. Um, and I'll tell you one of the reasons it's great is because everybody doesn't look like a freaking model. I mean, they look real, okay? They look like they're, and, and they look like they really went with the times, which they, you know, they did. They, they looked like the Jewish people that were a part of the nativity. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's a great thing to do for Christmas. And, um, and uh, obviously it's, it's a movie and it's not all perfect, but it's pretty good. And this is just a clip of that, of showing you uh, Zachariah in this particular setting. Watch this. The only thing I would add to that is, I mean, Zachariah, I mean, he, he was, you know, you, you saw it. I, they, they did a great job of depicting his like, my wife's too old. I'm too old. Um, now, it, it's not that clear to me in that movie, but let me just tell you what happens here. Verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. And you, heard that, you, you might have heard that in there. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. So here's Zechariah. He's told by Gabriel, the angel of God, you're going to have, you, you, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And he's like, I mean, I, I'd like to see a little more New Jersey cynicism, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was, the snare wasn't there, but it was kind of like, eh, a snarl, eh, you know. It was almost there. He's like, and God says, okay, now watch what happens here. Um, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he'd taken so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. For they realized from the gestures that he must have seen a vision in the temple of the sanctuary. So basically, God is just saying, you're not going to be able to talk. Now, this is interesting. Keep reading this. This is what happens. He stayed in the temple until his term of service was over, and then he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Look at her response. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace 
of having no children. So, put that in the back of your mind just for a moment. Zechariah questions, and he is, you can call it punished, I I would prefer the term chastised for questioning. Not the fact that he's still going to have the baby, but he can't talk for nine months. I don't know if, (laughs) yeah, I don't know if you fully feel the pain, but I do. I mean, telling a minister you can't talk for nine months, good gracious, I can't go for an hour, you know? It's like, wow. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other things for that as well, but, but, but this is amazing. So, now keep reading, because this, this is interesting. Keep in mind, he questioned. He's chastised. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. It's, about, it's uh, just about a two-hour bus ride northwest of Jerusalem. In those days, it would take a few days. Sent her to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be, a mar- to, ma- be excuse me, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. Spiritually speaking, of course, he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, watch her her response. Watch her response. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. Now, she didn't question. She was just like confused. And I think, I think it was a question that came out of innocence. It's like, God, how can I have a baby? I've never been with a man. You know, it, it, huge difference here. Finish, finish this. He's, verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, that's Zechariah's wife, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. You can just take verse 37 and paste it on your, you know, somewhere. For nothing is impossible with God. So here's the question. Well, let me read the rest of this. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. I'm willing to give, I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. Here we got it. Here's the analysis. Here's the question. Zechariah questions, maybe snarls a little bit, maybe, you know, doubts. Maybe the old grizzled veteran is just kind of having a tough spot in his faith. I don't know. Mary questions in a different way, and she's rewarded. How does that work? Still comes back to the heart. And God, God somehow knew, obviously God knows those kind of things, knew what the heart was, what Zechariah's heart was. He got blasted, basically. Six, nine months of being a mute, okay? She was rewarded for her faith. And she, but again, it has to do with, it has to do with it, her attitude. Her attitude is, wow, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants for me. Where Zechariah was like, it can't happen. 
here's where we need to go with this. His faith, certainly he was, you know, he, he, had, he was a man of faith and he had committed his life to serving people and, and in terms of a, of a, for lack of a better term, we'll use our term minister, but that, that, that involves so many, don't, don't make too many correlations between what I do and what he did because it was a totally different thing. You need to understand that. He was there on behalf of the people to get forgiveness for their sins. I can't do that for you. I can pray for you. And, I'll, and, I'm, and I do that, and I'll, and I'll do that anytime anybody asks me to do. I'll pray with you, but I can't go to God for you and say, God, please forgive my friend. I can pray that, but you still have to do that yourself. That's one of the big differences between then and now. You go to Jesus yourself. You go to Christ yourself, and you say, God, here I am, and I need forgiveness. That's, that, by the way, was one of the big tenets of the Reformation, the priesthood of the believer. Every believer is their own priest, and they can go before God. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus is here, okay? So there's a huge difference here, and, and, and it's, it's easy to start making correlations between a modern-day minister and this, but don't do that because you get the, the whole thing breaks down uh, in a number of, I mean, there are some, there are some similarities, but not, 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 not that many. So it still comes back to the heart. We got Zechariah chastised for doubting. We got Mary questioning, but she's rewarded for questioning. It comes back to the heart. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you just, and I had a bunch of them, so I, I had a whole bunch of different applications to this particular narrative. I just narrowed them down to four basic things that I want you to see that have to do both with Zechariah and both with Mary about this whole thing. And here they are. The first application is really simple. God never minds questions and doubts, but he is concerned about the condition of the heart of the one who asks Sometimes we think that God doesn't want doubt. God's, God's going to chastise. He's not going to chastise us if there's an honest seeking in our life and in our heart and in our attitude. Now, are, might we be chastised if there's some you know, whining and some complaining and some discontent? Uh, that's exactly what, how people, and the people of God in the Old Testament were chastised for because it wasn't just a questioning. It wasn't just a doubting. It, it, it was a whole lot more. It was, it was some, a, a bunch of other stuff. But, but here's the point. There is hope. There is great hope for those of us who have doubts and who have questions, but they're sincere and we're honest. And we're not just being, you know, whiners and complainers or whatever. God never minds the questions. And sometimes people think, well, you know, I, I, I can't have any doubt. Listen, God understands that. If it's sincere and if it's honest, that's okay. Now, and, and some of us may have, you know, and this is the thing. Some of us may have doubts about some really, what other people consider really big things. Some, what, what some might consider very small things. It doesn't really matter to me at the moment. Uh, I, if, I have, if I'm having some doubts and some questions about my, in, in my own life, about God or about life about how come, how come this person that I knew so well and I think is so righteous, how come they got a terminal illness and somebody else didn't? How come this person got cut from the job and this person didn't? You know, you, you, sometimes the questions are that practical. Sometimes they're bigger issues of life. You know, God doesn't mind that. God's big enough for your questions. He's big enough for your doubts. Just make sure you, you, that when you ask them, and I don't mean necessarily you ask them even verbally, there might be something that's, that's subconscious. might be something just in your mind. When you ask them, just be honest about it. Be honest with God about it. You know, there's some things here, God, I don't understand. That's okay. Mary, Mary was, and she says, you know, how can I have a baby? It was just a sincere, 
honest, innocent question. So that's the first thing. God doesn't mind questions and doubts. He, he is concerned about the heart of the one who asks. Second thing I want you to see, this is really, this is a tough one. Number two is going to be a tough one. Because um, I don't care where you are in the journey of faith. I don't care if you've been a pastor for 30 years, which I have this year, actually about this time, about 30 years ago, became accepted by first church. You believe that? They gave me a standing ovation. Little did they know how rotten. <laughs> anyway, it was, it, it was interesting. Um, um, I don't care if you've been a pastor for 30 years or if you're a person who just in, in recent months have come to consider yourself a person of faith in Christ. This, this second one is tough. It's very, very challenging. And that's the second application. Seek ways to stay fresh in your faith. That's a tough challenge. You know, whenever we talk about, and, and, and stay with me for a minute because you might go somewhere else with this thought. Whenever we talk about, you know, whether we're talking about intimacy with God or intimacy with a person, and, and, and you know, you start, you start, husband and wife, been married, uh, you know, 20 or 30 or 35 years or 50 years or whatever it is, and you start talking about how do we keep things fresh between, that's a challenge. It's the same way, just correlate that in terms of your relationship, your relationship with God. Wherever you are in this journey of faith, one of the things we need to do is seek ways to stay fresh in our faith. Now, I don't know what that means for you. It may mean, and that, by the way, let me just, just share this with you for a moment. That's one of our big challenges as a church. Because at Renaissance Church, we got people at every point along the journey of faith. We got some who are just thinking about it, not even there yet, not even sure what they believe, if they believe. We have some who cross that line, wherever that is, and they've said, you know what, I'm a, I'm a believer in Christ. I, I believe that, I, and, and I, there's some things about the Bible I don't understand or that I'm not sure I believe, but I'm a believer. We got other people who say, you know what, I've been, I've been, I've been a person of faith for 30 years, and, and I believe the Bible, and I'm very confident of this. I'm very, we have people at all walks of life. I don't care where you are. It is a challenge. Believe me, I understand this. from It is a challenge to stay fresh in your faith. Now, what does that mean for you? And that's one of the things I said we're trying to do as a church. That might mean for you maybe a, a certain kind of, maybe you read some, don't be afraid to read some other stuff. Don't be afraid to get in certain discussion groups. Maybe they're related to Renaissance Church, maybe not. Some things where you can think and explore and, 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 be, and be stretched a little bit. Maybe it's just reading from a different perspective. I've really enjoyed in recent years, I've really enjoyed, I've taken a, a little different slant on some of my reading. Because for, for years, I would only read stuff that would pertain to the Bible and toward messages that I'd be talking and, and talks I'd be doing and so forth. Everything was about preparation. In recent years, I've been set free a little bit. And I've started reading a little more for some, I always, I love to read, so it's always a pleasure. But I've started reading other stuff just for pleasure. One of the, I've mentioned before, I'm in a part of a, a American History Roundtable where I'm a, uh, a club that we belong to. And we just got through reading Benjamin Franklin. I read it from a, a different perspective as I do all stuff, just, just from a faith perspective. And I picked up things nobody else picked up on, only because of where I'm coming from. I'm reading about Benjamin Franklin spending weeks at a time with George Whitfield. Great, great American minister, partially responsible for the for the Enlightenment and so forth. And it's just like, wow, this is really so. And I expanded that a little and started reading some other stuff about it. For me, that was just really refreshing. You say, "Well, you are one sick puppy." I, I may be, 
I may be, but for somebody else, it's going to take something else. And be creative about this. And maybe it's, a, maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's a book study. Maybe it's a discussion group. Maybe it's some other form. Maybe, it's, maybe, you know, maybe it has to do with church. Maybe it doesn't. But, but, but experiment and, and, and think about that and be intentional about that in terms of seeking ways to stay fresh in your faith so it just doesn't become... Here I picture Zechariah doing what he did year after year, year after year, and after a while he's like, well, why am I even doing this? Is there any good, is there any good in all this? Am I, am, I, am I affecting anything? Who hasn't had that thought a time or two or more? So seek for, seek, seek for ways to do that. Talk about that with somebody that you're close to. Have some discussion. How, what, can I, what can I be doing? Maybe, it, maybe it's, oh, I got a new concept. Maybe it's just reading the Bible. You say, well, you know, the Bible's boring. Well, don't read that part, you know? You know, skip it. Somebody told me they're reading through the Bible. They got in Leviticus. They said, oh, I hate this. Leviticus is boring. It's boring as heck, but it needs to be there. And I'm like, well, don't read it. Skip it. What do you need? Note from the teacher? Here you go. Go. Take it. You know? Um, but I mean, it, it, and, and because the Bible's, I mean, you know that I love the Bible. There's so much here. But I'm not going to tell you there aren't some parts that I read and I'm like, whew. What is that there for? So, so, I mean, wherever that works for you, you need to think through that a little bit. You need to talk to some people about that. So, that's the second thing. You know, seek ways to stay fresh in your faith. Be open to God doing some, some new and some, some different things in your life, possibly. Working in different ways. It's not all about the same thing, the same way, all the time. Third thing I want you to see is this. Just, just never give up. Never give up on God working in your life. All right, be open to God doing new things. Just never give up on that. That's the great lesson. It's a great lesson from Zechariah's life. Never give up. You know, and that 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 verse, that's just so good. That verse that I that I, that we pointed out. All things are possible with God. Wow. I mean, that's that's just amazing. For nothing is impossible with God. Last thing, fourth thing, and here's here's the hope. Subtitle to the message was Zechariah, Hope for the Hopeless. Here's the hope in this thing. You know what? You can have some doubts. You can even be a little stale in your faith. You might even be a little arrogant at times. I know it sounds weird, but sometimes you get that way, don't you? But you know what? God can and he will still bless you in spite of your issues. I love that about God. The issues say something about me. The fact that God continues to bless me in spite of those issues says more about God. Because it's not about me. It's about Him. Zechariah, in spite of his staleness, in spite of his ritualism, in spite of some of the other stuff that he had going, Zechariah was blessed. He was blessed by God in spite of his issues. That to me is one thing of great hope. Now, I need to seek to be where I should be internally. I need, to, I need to seek to be what God wants me to be as an individual. But those times that I fail, I'm glad that God doesn't just withdraw his blessing. He still blesses us. Just like he did Zechariah and all of his doubting and all of his cynicism that he had. He still blesses I would just say this, may God, may God give us a confident, healthy, 
fresh faith. Where there is humility in our heart and humility in our mind, but they're engaged with our words and things are in sync. You know, they're all kind of, they're all in sync. But you know, when we're not in sync, our heart and our mind and our words, when we're not in sync, may we always be aware that God will still bless us every time, all the time because of what Jesus did for us. May God add his blessing to that truth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Just that we can sit here, I can stand here, stand here and talk about that and that it's true. We thank you that Jesus makes that possible as we trust him, that when we come to faith in Christ, we put our, put our trust in you, that you just bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. And we, we pray, God, that we'd be so aware of that in this holiday season, so much so that it would carry on long past that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.